0: Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. We stream live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays at DocWashburnShow.com. Minutes after each live stream is completed, the Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at your favorite podcast platforms. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at DocWashburnShow.com. This is the 71st episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Thursday, January 20th, 2022. Coming up, did today's surprise guest out another Fed who was at the Capitol on January 6th? He's coming up in just a minute. But first, yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't allow me to say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. All right, that having been said, we want to welcome Makaja Jackson to the program. If I understand correctly, he's in Arizona and has something called the JFK Project. Uh, Makaja, could you tell us, first of all, what the JFK Project is and then tell us what happened on January 6th before we get to uh, what certainly looks like the outing of a Fed? I'm not sure if I got you turned up or not, but let's find out.
1: Yes, sir. So I'm a disabled. I'm in school full-time. I'm
0: sorry, could, could, a, could, could you repeat that? You're a disabled veteran?
1: Yes, disabled veteran. Okay. I'm in school full-time to be a professor, and I created the JFK Report to document local events, rallies, protests, and to talk about political philosophy um, in America. And I, I really enjoy government, enjoy politics, and I love learning more about the Constitution.
0: Okay, so you apparently went from Phoenix, Arizona, all the way to um, Washington, D.C. to be there for the Trump rally on January 6 2021?
1: I did, but I wasn't in Phoenix at the time. I was actually working on the ranch, helping my dad up in Montana. I oh, found okay. out about the January six rally about mid-December, and I went to ohio to visit my mom for christmas and for my 25th birthday on january 5th i drove eight hours from ohio to washington dc to be at january 6th but i am i do reside in phoenix and everything yeah I just do a lot of traveling
0: right 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 well the uh the american west is beautiful i hear uh, yeah, great things is. great things about big sky country up in montana so um what were your impressions of january 5th and 6th in Washington, D.C., and then we'll eventually get to uh, uh, the video and uh, the guy who sure looked and acted like some kind of federal asset, which is the, the thing that got my attention to get you on the show in the first place. But tell us about January 5th and 6th in Washington, D.C.
1: Yeah, um, I didn't notice anything. I'm just a regular nobody guy, still so I'm a regular nobody guy. I didn't notice anything on the 5th. I just had a birthday dinner went back to my hotel in Virginia, went to bed, woke up early the 6th, met up with a few people, and then we all went to the National Monument, and everyone was smiling, everyone was taking photos, there was people cheering, there was people protesting, and I was just there documenting everything. I was taking photos and videos of everything. I was looking for propaganda. I found socialist propaganda all over Washington, D.C. They had signs of Putin in D.C., which was really interesting. And I was just interviewing people and observing everything of that day. Then, Trump was still speaking by the time I actually got to the Capitol. And when I got to the Capitol, my legal team has the footage. Cops were waving people onto, I was over in the inauguration area. That's where I, I was at the entire time. Yeah, And, I saw it with my own eyes. The cops incited the violence. They started to attack regular law-abiding citizens. They came out of nowhere, out of a, a tunnel underneath the Capitol grounds or into the Capitol, yeah. and they were wearing all black. No, there was no marking on them, and they started beating people. They started hitting people. Then they started flash-banging. They were pointing guns at people, and they were inciting people to retaliate and I, some of these people that have been arrested for fighting cops, I can't blame them because they were in self-defense and we have a constitution.
0: Yeah, that's, um, that's outrageous. And you're certainly not the first person who said that. And we've certainly seen video of police, oh, yeah. police attacking, uh, peaceful protesters, attacking protesters who weren't fighting back. um, so why did you uh, why did you leave the the Trump speech before he was through?
1: So I was, um, if you read my court documents, they're not going after me for it, but I do I find ways to get myself into organizations and I study him observe, observe them for my work. So I was I was rolling with the Proud Boys and. I was just studying them and seeing what they were doing and see what they were about, and I was using them to be protective because I didn't know if there was going to be any N T for B L M there. I only went by myself.
2: Right. So
1: the the Proud Boys were all marching around, just doing their chants, talking with each other, and I was just interviewing a couple of them, talking to them, and seeing where they're from. And the the whole the thing is, is the first people um where Ray Epps was, where he whispered in the gentleman's ear, and yeah. they... This, the first barrier, the Proud Boys were in the middle of that and I was at the back end of that. But with my footage, my my legal team has, there's cops waving people over at the Mm -hmm. same time. It's very interesting. And what's interesting is too, is Ray Epps and this guy we'll eventually get to the both of them here in the Valley. Yeah. So, and you know, and I also, my legal team also has footage of John Sullivan inside. When I was inside, I saw cops waving at people. They were hugging people, they were taking selfies with people. Uh, it was very interesting. you know there was this and then there was these two guys I have photos of my legal team does. They haven't been on the FBI wanted list yet, even though they were all over inside, and they're recognizable. They were wearing full military uniform with full gas mask, just walking around inside and just going through chambers, and they haven't been on the FBI wanted list like compared to other people that are on there. You can't even identify yet. So I I pretty much call January, January 6th. I've seen people talk about calling it Patriot's day. It wasn't no Patriot's day. January 6th was a dark day. I call it the DC massacre, American PSYOP. They executed four people that day and they killed their own officer. They killed five people that day. Then you have to take an account of all the suicides that happened with um, officers and suicides of regular people when the FBI came to visit them over January six. The government has deaths responsible in their hands. It is a massacre, and it's a, a political wedge hunt down.
0: Was it? Did it seem odd to you after seeing police attacking nonviolent protesters outside? And once you get inside the Capitol building, and um, uh, you know their brothers in arms, other police are are smiling, shaking hands with, taking selfies with uh, with people there to protest.
1: It was yes, it was very odd because I'm going to be honest with you. Me being a disabled veteran, I was in the infantry in the Marine Corps. What I saw that day, it. I didn't retaliate. I didn't get violent, but it put me on that war mindset that I had to protect myself and protect these people because what they were doing was they were raging war on the American people. Yeah. Kids, women, elderly. It was disgusting that our, our own government did that. But we're in a fascist state right now and it's been coming for a long time. So it's no surprise. But then when you go inside, as I said, you know, and like you said, it's just, wow, why these cops are just waving at Beagle. They're actually smiling, they're taking selfies, they're joking around, they're laughing. Then you get the footage of um, Jake Angeli, the Q and a shaman, who I personally know here in Phoenix. He was a, a nice, I mean, I don't believe in the whole Q stuff, but the guy's really nice and he would never harm or fly. And the fact there's a video of it, of the cops saying, hey, just go in there peacefully, you know, and don't touch anything. And the guy gets three years. It's, it's, it's a political hunt down and there's an agenda for this to be done. And I get sentenced next month on the 25th. And after exposing uh, Luke Phillips or Luke Robinson, it's going to be interesting now.
0: So this Jake Angeli guy you're talking about, just for my listeners, um, edification, we're talking about the guy who had the furry Viking helmet on and the, uh, and the open, uh, vest and no shirt and, um. Uh, a little bit of face painting and was walking around and didn't hurt anybody. And he recently got 41 months uh, because, uh, in my humble opinion, you got a lot of judges up there, definitely the judges sentenced him, who don't like him because he was against the incoming regime. That's that's about it.
1: Yes. And he's been at every rally or protest I've been to here in Phoenix to cover it or go, he's been there and he does his own stuff too. He'll go. So Phoenix has a very high sex trafficking problem. He'll go to a corner of streets and protest the sex trafficking where cops ain't doing anything about it. He, he's a, he loves Phoenix. He's a, he loves his mom. His mom's a very humble, nice, gorgeous woman. And I've met her mom, his mom multiple times. It's, it's despicable what's going on and how they're treating people. And I've met Ashley Babbitt's mom, Michelle. when. I went to the Trump rally here in July and when he came, so he came back in July and I started megaphoning about Ashley bad and how the federal government executed her and nothing's being done. And I didn't know Ashley's mom was there at the time is Paul Gosar, my Congressman invited her and she personally walked up to me and gave me a hug because I was speaking out about the injustices done by our federal government.
0: Oh my goodness. Wow. That, uh, Sounds like kind of a heart stopping moment. I'm sure you wouldn't expect that.
1: It it was, it was, it was. You know, me and her stay in touch. And when I see uh, Jake's mom, you know, I give her a hug and talk to her and see how she's doing. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on here in Phoenix, especially, and especially with me, I'm probably the second most media attention right now because of what I've been doing, of the work I've been doing with giving speeches, interviewing people. The media trying to say I'm a proud boy when I'm not, even though the the judge and the prosecutor agrees I'm not, and it's not, it's not in my plea bargain, uh, it's it's despicable, you know, what they're doing, these fascist journalists and these media outlets, then especially after exposing a, a possible federal government informant or operative, it's very interesting what's happening now, and I ca- this is why I call... What, January 6th, the D.C. massacre, American PSYOP. It was an American PSYOP to get an agenda done and get the regime.
0: All right, for clarification purposes for my uh, listeners, uh, because we have uh, listeners in all 50 states and 30 other countries, and uh, sometimes people use the word fascist as a synonym for I don't like you. But fascist actually has uh, a definition and the yes. idea of fascism is keeping uh, some kind of veneer of private business ownership while at the same time the government is so all-powerful that it's almost as if you don't actually own your small business because the government um, is into every little detail, uh, is so heavily regulating you that you have hardly any freedom to you know, run your business the way you want to. And so that, that is the actual definition of fascism, and that certainly seems to be uh, where the current regime wants to go. Uh, yes. So, so when you hear McKay just say, uh, you know, use the term fascist, he's not using it in the ordinary way that it tends to be used uh, in our society uh, as a, you know, another way of saying, I don't like these people. It actually means something. So, um, yes. when you say that you seem to be the uh the person that is I guess second in line as far as the media's interest in the in the Greater Phoenix metropolitan area uh regarding January sixth, of course, I guess number one would be Ray Epps.
1: Yes, I would my uh, my two my two good buddies were the ones that actually confronted him in his golf cart.
0: Oh, I see.
1: I see. And it was the same, and the same buddy who helped me, as you seen in the video, was the same person that was there too. He did the investigation to figure out information on these people, and they're both from here in the valley. It's very interesting.
0: So, um, you saw Ray Epps at the Capitol. I
1: don't remember seeing him, but I probably did see of him. But my it was my friends that went to his ranch in Mesa, Arizona. At his wedding venue, where he, where he runs wedding venues, when he took off in his golf cart.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, there were hundreds of thousands of people there that day, so you know it's it's easy to have missed somebody. But we've all seen the. Um, and by saying we've all seen, I I, I don't mean a hundred percent of people listening, but a lot mo- most of us who are paying attention to what's going on have seen video of Ray ups the night before saying, we got to go into the Capitol. I'm probably going to get arrested. I don't care. Got to go into the Capitol. Uh, And then the next day, uh, him leading the charge of getting barricades out of the way and trying to encourage as many people as possible to get into the Capitol. Um, So you saw people getting beat up outside the Capitol, um, and then you decided to go inside the Capitol?
1: Yes. So, um... The the crowd just kept going forward, and what happened was is I was trying to find the the group I was around with because I didn't know what was really going on. I legitly just I, I'm a disabled veteran, so I, I'm dealing with disability from the military, and it kind of triggered that. And I was kind of just there observing everything, just like whoa, what is going on? Um, and I was just trying to get to a spot where I was safe and I knew people. That's all I was trying to do. I had no purpose of causing harm. I had no purpose of what what their government's saying? Oh, they're trying to overturn an election. I'm like, no, it wasn't. I I, I was just trying to find safety and see what's going on, and and at the same time, like, whoa, this could probably help my JFK report, you know, just seeing what's going on here, and and I just kept going forward and the, following the huge crowd, and the, I get there, the doors are wide open. Um, I walk inside the doors. A couple of people hopping through the window. There's just people walking around protesting, yelling, people giggling, talking, you know, and you see the cops is directing people. Then I only stayed in the hallways. I never stepped foot in any chamber, but it was weird. You would see doors open in the chambers and people were running, they were going through files and sitting on desktops and going through their, their laptops and everything. So it, I've never seen anything like that before. You know, I, I just regular Trump supporters are just not going to go into an office and, go through digging through files and the laptops and desktops and looking through stuff, you know, there, there was something going on there.
0: And a question. Um, so it it seemed surreal to you, uh, seeing what was going on.
1: Yes, it was, you know, then, um, officer Dunn, the guy who was lying saying, Oh, they were dropping the N word. I mean, that's a lie. If they, if that would have happened, that would have been over the news. But the thing is, He's been lying all over. You know, Taylor Hanson initially was telling you about him. I mean, the, lying to the, the committee and everything. And I, I saw the guy actually being protected by oath keepers with my own eyes. He was being protected by oath keepers because there was an agitator, agitated them, and he was just swinging his baton like nothing, just swinging it around just like a crazy man. And I'm, but the oath keepers were keeping him calm and be like, "Hey, man, you're cool, dude. We're going to protect you."
0: Wow. Yeah, that hasn't come out. That hasn't come out. So, oh, my own eyes and there's footage of it too yeah no I, I I don't I don't doubt that for a moment um, so let's get to the guy that uh, you wound up uh, confronting uh, yes. recently in in the Phoenix Arizona area um, who is this guy and um, what was your interaction with him on uh, January 6th at the US Capitol
1: all right. Well, here's the starters. I never knew he was at January six. I didn't meet this guy, Luke Philip Robinson, twenty three years old, graduated from Boulder Creek High School here in Arizona. About forty minutes north of downtown Phoenix, and I uh, in a little park called Anthem. It, it kind of just developed over the years.
0: Yeah.
1: He drives for Uber Eats. He sells parts my bicycle parts on Craigslist. That's, that's what we know about them, but I didn't meet them until. So the FBI came to my home on March 24th at 11 AM. Uh, that same time, it spooked my disability and it took me to the VA hospital where I got checked in for five days. Then five days I got out. So it was March 29th. So 10 days after March 24th, I go to April 3rd, 2021 I get invited to a organized event by a local activist here. I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. I'll record it. I'll help you out and just study it and upload content to my JFK report. Well this 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 is April third, two thousand twenty one. I meet Luke Philip Robinson. He has the red beard, he's wearing the same freedom hat. I didn't think I didn't know this guy was even on the FBI wanted list. Uh, apparently he was put on it on May of two thousand twenty one and I still didn't know. So I get arrested, so we do a few, I even have footage of Luke doing activist work around the Phoenix because I was recording it. So for about a month and a half, we get together, all three of us, we're doing work, then I get arrested, I had to turn myself in, um, the charges came out So on May 18th, 2021, my lawyer takes me to the FBI um, headquarters here in Phoenix, I give, they take me down to Florence, Arizona, about an hour south of phoenix and i get booked for 30 hours i get released the next day on pre-trial services whatever you want to call it and i didn't see luke or hear from him and until september of 2021 arizona had the audit release rally i seen him i like, "Oh, hey luke how you doing he's like good that's it because i was busy working doing interviews for my jfk report so now it's january Second, three days before my 26th birthday, I get a DM on my Twitter on the JFK report. And this guy shoots me messages and photos. He's like, hey, man, uh, apparently this guy's from Arizona. Have you seen him? Do you know who he is? And I'm looking at the photos and my, my jaw drops. I'm like, wow, yes, I personally know who this guy is. I've done work with him before I was arrested. And he's like, you're kidding. I'm like, no, his name's Luke Philip Robinson. I have him on social media. I have his phone number. So that same day, I text Luke, just asking how he is. Short talk, and that's about it. And then he doesn't respond. So that's when me and my buddy Kyle Clifton, who helped um, find out where Ray Epps was here in Arizona, with my buddy American Grayson, who confronted Ray Epps. So me and Kyle Clifton, I got, I got with Kyle. He did, what he, he did what he did and that's when he found out he drove for Uber Eats and he had his own Craigslist. So how we set it up pretty much was last Friday, January 14th at 8 a.m. My buddy, he uh, two days before we met up, he purchased a bike off his Craigslist. They chose a time and a location. They get there. Kyle gets out. He pulls his... In the video, you can see luke pulling out the bike so they're talking the bikes out and that's when i'm walking up with a huge yellow folder where it says number 343 because luke robinson was number 343 on the fbi wanted list he was put on there on may then he was removed in september when he was identified by sedition hunters which i had no idea of this until Two weeks ago, or well, now three weeks ago almost, the beginning of January, had no idea he was at January 6th, had no idea he was on the wanted list, and no idea he was removed from the wanted list. Right. So this is when I go up there and I confront him, and you see in the video, as soon as I confront him, he just freezes. he drops the bike, he's like, oh, um, oh shit, pardon my French, um, he's like, hey, what's up, man, and I'm, he's, he's like, I'm trying to sell a bike, and I, and I ask him, hey, man, why were you removed from 343 on the FBI wanted list? And instead of saying, and instead of saying, no, I wasn't there. He says, I don't know. And that's when I go to the bed of his Toyota and I open up the folder and I lay out all these photos of his mugshot, his FBI wanted photo, photos of him, our text messages, his license, his social media. And that's when I just started asking him questions and he was just melting and freezing away. He didn't wasn't answering anything, but you could tell the guy was, I mean, you look at his face, he was just in shock. He was nervous. And I take this personally because how the FBI comes to my house and I meet you 10 days after the FBI comes to my house, then you disappear when I get arrested. Very interesting. Yeah. But as you know, as well, what makes this even more interesting for your viewers real quick. So there have been people at January 6th who have been charged, arrested, convicted or being hunted down for only being on Capitol grounds property.
0: You're not even going in the building.
1: Yes, exactly. And they had no firearms. So Luke Robinson, if you look at the photos, the same firearm he carries to himself to this day is the same firearm. He was carrying concealed on Capitol grounds in the district of DC on federal property. He was carrying a firearm on January 6th and he had an earpiece in his ear, and he's randomly removed from the FBI wanted list, and the, the media talks about, oh, an armed insurrection. These are seditionists, and they're terrorists. But the only guy who was seen to actually have an, an actual firearm was removed from the FBI wanted list. Very interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, it. you know, you, you add everything up. There, there's an old phrase called Occam's razor, which apparently means, usually the most reasonable explanation for something is the correct explanation. So it would seem to be the most reasonable explanation for this fellow and and what he's done and what he's gotten away with and how he reacted when you guys confronted him is that he's some sort of federal asset. Perhaps not an employee, but uh, perhaps an informant. Um, and they, they, and there are a lot more federal agencies out there than just the FBI who I think were very heavily involved in January 6th. Newsweek magazine yeah. a couple of weeks ago said that there were hundreds of undercover uh, military commandos uh, at the Capitol on January 6th with uh, shoot-to-kill orders. You know, So uh, when, for instance, when the January 6th committee says, oh, yeah, Ray Epps, no, he wasn't uh, FBI. Okay, well, was he Joint Terrorism Task Force for the for the military? I mean, you know, there there's so many ways to to look at this and so many ways they parse words to try to obscure what actually happened. Um so when you mentioned the FBI came to your home in March and that uh uh triggered your service-connected disability, I I don't want to pry, but do you mind if I ask Is that kind of a PTSD thing from having been in combat?
1: Uh, Yes, but not combat. Um, I was sexually assaulted and physically assaulted on multiple occasions. Uh, It's all right. I I don't mind talking about it. Um, I was honorably discharged. I have 100% service connected. I'm three years sober from alcohol, and I'm in school to be a political philosopher professor. You know, that's why I talk about how this is a fascist state. You know, I'm just a young man, just. Trying to figure out what's going on in our country and yeah. stay close. I'm I'm a devoted Lutheran. I love Jesus Christ and Amen. And I'm just you know I just love this country. Um, I love Americans. Uh, I I don't like what this fascist government's doing and this fascist liberalism that's destroying and decaying our society. And January 6th needs to be figured out for what it really is and what which was a psyop and a massacre on the American people.
0: No question. No question.
1: And, and especially with what I saw on January 6th, that's what really triggered it, too, because I, I, didn't, I was in the same hallway when actually Babel was executed, but I didn't see it. I didn't know what was really going on when I stepped inside. I, I was just in this. Because what, now, bringing back memory, what really happened is, is I was just walking around, and actually next thing I know, I just froze everything just slowed down for me like everything just stopped yeah I held on to a statue I was praying to God and I said God uh just get me out of here yeah and that's and that's why I saw uh antifa breaking out windows and I was just very confused then I'm in the same presence when Ashley Babbitt gets executed but I didn't see it but I was it was so loud in there you know I just didn't know what was going on, and I did see all these undercover cops is going everywhere if they're AR-15-type rifles and people being knocked down, um, held at gunpoint. There's a lot of stuff they're not showing, you know, and not talking about. Yeah,
0: yeah I was – see, that's one of the things I was going to ask you. When you said you were close to um, the scene of the murder when she was shot, but you didn't actually see it, I figured, well, it must have been pretty loud when – Michael Burke shot her though.
1: There was an alarm. There was just people screaming inside cops yelling at people. And their alarm was super, super loud inside. And I was like, I didn't talk to anyone inside. I was just in there just incomplete. Wow. What is this? I've never seen anything like this, you know, just a moment in history, you know, and I don't call it Patriot's day. I try to tell my friends, you know, I have friends kind of argue with me, oh, this isn't fascism, it's communism. Like, no, this is fascism. That is a massacre. They set it up. It was a dark day, and we just got to remember it as Americans. We, it's just a time to unite as a, a nation and put God first and and hold people accountable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so the FBI visited you. By the way, if I ask you any questions that your lawyer doesn't want you to answer, feel free to say, you know, on, um, you know, uh, on advice of my lawyer, I, I don't answer that or whatever. But the FBI came to visit uh, you at your home in the Phoenix, Arizona area in, in late March, I guess because you were at the Capitol on January 6th and, and there's some kind of charges against you now. Yes,
1: because I uploaded my stuff on, well, not my stuff, my content on Instagram, and they had multiple reports for my Instagram. They looked up my email and, and matched the email in their database in Washington, D.C., and they traced every step I took in Washington, D.C. that day. They came to my house. They knocked on the door. They asked for me. I come out. They lay out a yellow folder. They show me photos of me, my social media. They pull up their phone. They show me the video of me walking inside. And they tell me, hey, man, we're not going to be arresting you today. We're just investigating you. And that's when I kind of kind of like froze up. I, I kind of collapsed. They picked me up, and they took me to the hospital. And I get all my legal team. Then a week before, what really ticked me off was a week before my arrest. They personally called me without talking to my lawyer first. So they called me directly, even though they knew they knew I had legal representation. They, wow. they were probing me on. They were trying to probe me on Proud Boy stuff because I came from the ranch in Montana, so I was wearing my ranch clothes that day, and I was wearing yellow gloves that I was using. It was cold. It's like twenty degrees that day, so I was wearing gloves. I was wearing ranch um, uh, mule hide ranch gloves to stay warm, and they were saying, "Oh, those are Proud Boy gloves," and I was like, "Sir, um, I was coming from a ranch." So it, when you read the FBI indictment and the DOJ, whatever you want to call it. They don't, they, they never says I am a proud boy. They only assume, but they think I am, but I never have been one. I don't, I study politics. I'm in school full time. Uh, this right. is what I do. I, I observe groups. I try to find ways in the groups. I just want to see what they're doing, their ideologies, because for me to be a great professor in this country one day, I have to study these groups and understand them and what they believe in and everything you talk exactly. about it in my future lectures coming up especially since I do my own podcast the JFK report I speak about political philosophy and different groups and ideologies that's just something I do
0: right 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 so um <clears throat> unfortunate and of course if I understand correctly everything I've seen from uh, Nick Searcy's, uh, capital punishment the movie.com everything I've seen everywhere, um, Ray Epps, people working with Ray Epps, some of whom are very visible on video, but, uh, the FBI has no interest in figuring out who they are, move the barricades, move the no trespassing signs. So when people were coming from the Trump rally, um, the first entrance to the Capitol, they have no idea. They're not supposed to be on Capitol grounds, much less in the Capitol building. Um, and the feds have taken full advantage of that to arrest people for just being on the grounds, for just being on the building, for not damaging or threatening anyone, and I guess you're one of those people.
1: Yes, I had no idea. There was no signs. I just saw the doors open. I walked through the doors, and you know, I'm like, oh, okay, and I was kind of, I'm not going to lie, you know. I'm, I don't like tribalism. I'm all about mega. I'm currently working on a book, The Mega Revolution, but... I don't believe in tribalism. There's a difference. When I walked inside, when I saw windows broken, I was kind of like, what's going on here? Then when I was seeing statues dressed up in mega gear and Trump gear, I did not like that. There was no reason for our statues to be dressed up in mega and Trump gear. I mean, that's just, no, it doesn't work. I don't believe in that type of stuff. Right. Um, yeah, but there was no sign in there or no signs. I mean, if, if, even outside, it was just, okay, just going up, you know, okay, that was it. Yeah, I didn't think of it. And and the charges they gave me, so they gave me, when I when I finally got arrested, when I turned myself in, the, pardon my French again, the FBI agent straight up told me, you talk a lot of shit. And I was like, whoa. They wanted to give me felonies, but they only gave me four misdemeanors. The four misdemeanors were trespassing, violent entry, violent entry disorderly conduct, and parading, picketing, and demonstrating and I just pled down to the Class B, one misdemeanor, parading, picketing, and demonstrating, which is pretty much, and hence, unlawful protesting. But the thing is, they gave me those other three charges, like the violent entry and violent entry disorderly conduct. I never got violent that day. I didn't violently, I never violently entered any building or any premise. I, I was never violent, so to make up those charges is, is wrong, unethical. Not even, it's not even right. Not even an American. Then when you read the, the Constitution of the First Amendment, we have a right to protest, but it also says on there that we have the right to grievance to petition our government. Yeah. And it's a comma and it's after a comma. So there's a comma after peaceably assemble. Then it says that. So there's a comma there for a reason. The government the right to petition the government for grievances. Right. And and that's and it's, you know, when you talk about fascism, this all started because and we're all feeling the full effects now because of Woodrow Wilson and FDR. Woodrow Wilson expanded Congress and wanted to give them full on power. He wrote a book about Congress. So, Congress, they pass these bills, and the Supreme Court never reviews them. They pass bills that are actually very unconstitutional, and they harm the American people. You know, what was it? Um, just the other day, Dan Cringshaw was asked by a gentleman about. January sixth, and the guy's like, I, you know, I wish I could pass a bill to save these guys and help them out." No, pass a bill? You don't need to pass a bill. You have the Constitution. We're electing politicians that don't even know the Constitution. They just think, "Oh, we'll just pass a bill and they'll be all right." It does. The more bills we pass, the more we're putting ourselves into authoritarianism. That's what's really happening. We have a Constitution for a reason. They're they're making our government more complicated than it really is.
0: Oh, no question. And and you know, Dan Crenshaw. um it's a rhino. Uh, he says he believes in uh, global warming, uh, climate change. He ridicules people who think there were any problems with the 2020 presidential election. Um, you know, he did the, the thing on the podcast uh, suggesting that Jesus is not a real person. Uh, and then when a young lady called him out on yep. it, and I don't know if she's 11 or, or 12 11. or – some people say she's an eighteen year old volunteer for the uh, other campaign. It doesn't matter whether she's eleven or twelve or eighteen to me. What matters to me is instead of addressing the fact that she was quoting him directly, he said five or six times in a minute and a half, don't question my faith. You know? Uh he he's a jerk. Yes. He's a jerk. And and good for a lot the people politicians are yeah. And, and so thank God somebody is primarying him. Um, you know, he has three primary opponents, second district there of Texas in the uh, Houston suburbs. I don't know which one is the best primary opponent, but, uh, you know, may the best man win. Is for sure not going to be Dan Crenshaw in the Republican yes, uh, primaries. Amen. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I
1: did, we need, real quick, you know, we just need Republicans and conservative and independent type people or just American living people. We need to stop electing full-on politicians, we need to start liking your farmers, your ranchers, your school teachers, your America First professors, doctors, some people that love your community and love this country that will put you first and not the government.
0: Right, exactly. And, and this is why a lot of the rhinos need to be primaried. Um, I happen to still be in Little Rock, Arkansas, so I point out on a regular basis um, how terrible the U.S. representative uh, representing uh, Central Arkansas, the 2nd District of Arkansas, he has a guy named French Hill who says that uh, um, President Trump's rhetoric leading up to January 6th was unforgivable and it's a fiction and a fallacy that some kind of landslide election was stolen from him. And, you know, how thrilled he was to vote to keep Liz Cheney in Republican yep. uh, House leadership um, and that he voted for the January 6th committee and he voted f- with all the Democrats. Or four hundred fifty million dollars to help the feds fortify their vaccination database to help them and the state health departments keep track of all of us. And this guy's supposed to be a Republican, you know. And unfortunately, he's got a primary opponent, uh, Colonel oh, yeah. Conrad Reynolds. Uh, but but yeah, more light needs to be uh, shined on all the rhinos across this country who need to be primary. No question about that. So. So my understanding is that you've accepted some kind of a a plea agreement?
1: Yes, there's no point in me going to trial. D.C. is, they don't like, in D.C. they've been indoctrinated. They're fascists. They don't like white Christian males. They don't like Trump supporters. They don't like anything America first. They look at you, they think you're a racist, and they consider you a Nazi when, in fact, that, they're actual fascists. So there's no point in me going to trial because if I went to trial, the jury could convict me of all four charges or better or less, they would just convict me of the same charge that I'm pleading to. It's just, I'm, It's been over a year for me about now. I'm ready for, I'm ready to move on my life. I'm in s- school. I'm about a year away from my bachelor's. so I could get my master's and start teaching at a community college. You know, I'm, I'm done with this. You know, I got a life to live. I'm, I'm disabled. I like to fly fish, you know, and I just, there's no point of going to trial. It's just, I'm just going to do, I pled and to one misdemeanor and that's it for me, you know. And I'm working with a few people right now where I'm, there's a chance I could get a pardon eventually in the future. And, you know, with a lot of us who should.
0: Well, would certainly hope so. Uh, so what do you expect? Uh, do you have any idea what the sentence is going to be for this one misdemeanor?
1: Max is six month, minimum is 30 days. And I'm praying to God and my lawyer is working with the prosecutor and the judge that, I get less than 30 days because I'm a hundred percent disabled. But if I get more than 30 days, my disability gets suspended until I get out. And then I would have, and I, I bought, a, I have a, I have a, I have my own dog. I just bought my house in April. I got bills to pay. So I don't know what's going to happen. It's all in God's hands now, but I stay, my faith stays in Jesus Christ. I read scripture every day. I pray. I'm currently reading the book of Daniel. Um, oh Yeah. Daniel's a good book for me right now with everything going on. And uh, I just have faith and I know God's going to take care of me either way. What's going to happen. If I go to jail, I'm just going to come back a stronger man. You know, I don't fear the government. I only fear God and you're not, the media doesn't scare me. These fascists don't scare me. you send me to jail. The Marine Corps was worse. It's jail. (laughs) I'll do my time and I'll get out. You can't stop time.
0: Right, 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 right. Uh, so McKage Jackson, if people want to find out more, uh, about you and what you're trying to accomplish and what the government is is doing to you um, what's what's a good uh, you know website what's a good place for folks to go?
1: Yes yeah, so you can, my main stuff is on Twitter and YouTube okay and Rumble and all my social media pretty much the Twitter Rumble YouTube you can find me at the JFK report. Don't forget the the so the JFK report
0: okay so i'm i'm on uh, youtube and i 'm typing in the j f k report and i'm just going to make sure i can i can find you over here on youtube uh, they haven 't gotten rid of everybody yet um, okay yeah the j f k report i'm going to subscribe to that um
1: thank you sir i appreciate that sure
0: sure <laughs> sure and one of these days i'm going to have time to look at rumble, but in the meantime you're on um on uh, youtube and um you know, our, our prayers are with you. Um, when, when is your, uh, sentencing hearing again?
1: February 25th, two thirty 30 PM in Eastern time. So it'd be about 1230 my time now in standard time. And it's supposed it's supposed to be done through zoom. All my court hearings have been done through zoom, but it might change just because of the whole me exposing a possible government informant who knows what's going to happen. I mean, is after that government informant, um, he had Ray Epps. So Ray Epps was cleared, and about three or four days after that, that's when I confronted Luke Robinson. So I don't know if they're freaking out or what's going on, but I hope they're running around in circles because we're figuring
0: out the truth. So Ray Epps, um, the other day Adam Kinzinger said, hey, uh, you know, we're the January 6th commission. We we talked to him. It's chill. It's all good. You know, he's not FBI or anything. And now you find out. Oh, wait a minute! He's actually going to be interviewed for the first time uh, tomorrow. Uh, any thoughts about what's going on with Ray Epps and the January Sixth Commission?
1: Well, if it's not going to be transparent, um, uh, I don't. You know, I the government lies. We they, the government has oh, an yeah. obligation to show us the truth and everything, but they're not. They they won't. They're fighting against the lecturing audit. They're fighting against not, you know, they just, the white House just came out with data saying, Oh, uh, Biden's economy was good. And they put Trump at the bottom for worse than under Obama and Bush. You know, they're just, they're lying to our face. It's just straight propaganda and lies. So th- anything that's coming out of that committee, it's lies. They're going to, they're going to make up stuff. They're going to make up stories and they're going to change the narrative. I mean, they're just trying to do this to protect their own, their own selves. I mean, it's all going to come out eventually, especially when if you watch the video of uh, Luke me confronting Luke Robinson, my buddy Kyle, ask him, "Hey, do you know Ray Epps?" and he froze for about five to ten seconds, and he just says, "No."
0: Right, right. So this Luke Philip Robinson has he uh, turned up on social media anywhere? Is he saying, "Hey, uh, these guys got it all wrong," and you know, here's the deal, no. or is he just trying to disappear into the woodwork?
1: Yeah. So what happened was. Two days before I confronted Luke Robinson, the Daily Beast came out with an article about him, which is weird. And then at the very end of the article, it mentions my name, calling me a far-right activist. Um, And it was just really weird how they wrote the article. Then when I confronted Luke, I was being attacked by fascist journalists one of them here in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, named Jared. Uh, he was saying, "Oh, this is fake." He doesn't. He they asked if he was an FBI informant. He said he was no. He said no, and there was no evidence. And when I show the evidence of photos, you know, the the guy's just like, "Oh, blah blah blah." Then he then he makes another tweet saying, "I've talked to someone and saying this and this." They're, even the media is tripping up now about this. So it's it's interesting. But no, he has a Luke, Rod- his Instagram, that's what's even more interesting. His He still has me following him, his Instagram, so I'm guessing he's deleted his social media where he's just not checking them. He has an Instagram called Luke Robinson 1776. His last photo or, or post was November of 2019, somewhere in Europe. He went to Europe. He went to six different countries in Europe in a matter of three months, and he only works at Uber Eats and sells stuff on Craigslist. But that was a few years ago, maybe, maybe. But I don't know. But he hasn't posted anything on there since then, since November of two thousand nineteen. Wow. Then what else? He then he when he started doing his activist work, he ran a page called Anti vaxxers Now that page is randomly gone because there's actually footage and articles about Luke Robinson. He's actually been very disruptive around the city. Yeah. He actually disrupted a school board meeting. A co- this summer. So I, what I think was really going on is I think the FBI is using them or government agencies to disrupt events in political ways. And it gives the FBI or some sort of government agency to find information on people he's around, or he may be helping them yeah. to open an investigation on these people or he's trading them information to stay out of trouble as well.
0: Well, they certainly have informants, and, uh, you know, sometimes the informants are are not squeaky clean.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, no, he has a couple speeding tickets, and he has a petty step charge, but that's all I know of.
0: So. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, It's we're going to figure it out, though, Doc. It's it's all coming out day by day. I take, like my alcohol sobriety, I'm three years sober. I take it day by day. I'm happy, either, you know, even though the government's coming after me. It's, it's been in my family legacy for a long time. I come from a family of Quakers. We were persecuted in Europe, and we got persecuted here in America for running underground railroads. Wow. I mean, I'm related. I, my my ancestors, Andrew Jackson and, and Stonewall Jackson, Andrew Jackson persecuted our family because he was a slave guy, and we were Quakers that were running underground railroads. Our own ancestors persecuted us. So it's been in my family. I'm just going to live the American way, use the Constitution, and keep God close and keep figuring out the truth and and listen to guys like yourself that are having voices heard all over the country, you know. People are listening, and and all people need to do is just get active at their local community level and start making a difference.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. McKay Jackson, we appreciate you. Again, it's the JFK Report on Twitter, on Rumble, on YouTube, uh, and I just uh, subscribed on YouTube, and I highly recommend you keep up with his young man, and uh, and we look for uh, very positive things from you uh, going forward in the future uh, in the fight to, yep. for freedom in this country.
1: Yes, sir, and I'm not going to announce it over the phone, but I have real big news coming for the Arizona. Um, once I find out what my sentencing is, I'm going to make an announcement. I'll let you know, but it's going to be, it's really good news. Um, It's time to save this city, and it's time to save this state and our country. I appreciate you, Doc.
0: Well, I appreciate you too, sir. Uh, Thank you, brother. And uh, keep in touch, and and let us know when you're able to uh, drop the big news. Sounds good. God
1: bless you, Doc. God bless bless you too. God bless everyone listening out there, and just keep God close in Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. 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 All right. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bye-bye. Wow. What a breath of fresh air. What a breath of fresh air. McKajia Jackson there, one of the many people who had no idea that he was breaking any law by being on the Capitol grounds or by wandering around inside the Capitol for a few moments, had no idea. And that, of course, is part of the plan. That, of course, is part of the uh, the setup. Again, it was not an insurrection. It was a Fed-surrection, set up by the feds. All right, uh, having said that, before we move on, there's a lot to talk about today. If you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red river, your is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, the freedom to buy a car, a truck, van, or SUV. The way you want to, you can buy online and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red river, your way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website. to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. Don't worry, Red River experts are still right here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options you have full control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can determine what monthly payment Works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy the vehicle you want the way you want to. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door, no matter where you live in the continental United States. RedRiverYourWay.com You'll be glad you did. And we appreciate them uh, sponsoring the Doc Washburn show. I had a, my partners and I had, had a long talk with the owner of red river your way, uh, Mitch Ward, uh, before their first commercial ran on the doc Washburn show. And, uh, we see eye to eye on how things are going in this country and, and the need to change and the need to fight for freedom. Um, Yeah, I mean, when I was getting ready to do his first commercial, I said, you know, what sets you apart? He says, we believe in freedom, man. We're all about freedom. The flag means something to us. And uh, that, uh, that really meant something to me. So Dementia Joe had a long press conference yesterday. Did you hear about this? Dementia Joe had a long press conference yesterday. Here's just a quick little blurb from it. I didn't overpromise,
3: but I have probably uh, outperformed what anybody thought would happen.
0: (laughs) I didn't overpromise. I probably outperformed what anybody thought would happen. Really? Just goes to show how out of it this guy is. Now, James Rosen. Remember him? James Rosen uh, used to be on Fox News. I'm trying to figure out. Is he on Newsmax now? He asked a question yesterday. Let's see. Okay, Chief White House Correspondent with Newsmax since the start of this month. James Rosen, used to be with Fox News and Sinclair Broadcast Group. And James Rosen asks a very polite question, but a difficult question for uh, for Dementia Joe, and it went something like this.
2: Thank you very much for this honor. James Rosen with Newsmax. I'd like to um, I'd like to raise a delicate subject, uh, but with utmost respect for your life accomplishments and the high office you hold. A poll released this morning by Politico Morning Consult found forty-nine percent of registered voters disagreeing with the statement Joe Biden is mentally fit. Wow. Not even a majority of Democrats who responded uh, strongly affirmed that statement. Well, I'll let you all make the judgment whether they're correct. Well, so the question I have for you, sir, if you'd let me finish, is why do you suppose such large segments of the American electorate have come to harbor such profound concerns about your cognitive fitness? Thank you.
3: I have no idea.
0: Yes, sir. No idea. He knows. He knows. See, one of the things about Alzheimer's or dementia or whatever is that you come and go. And when you have moments of lucidity, you realize that you have moments where you're not lucid. Know what I'm saying? So he knows that they have to pump him up with different things you know he knows everyone around him knows too everyone but um i'm thinking that was unprecedented i don't think anyone has ever asked a, que- a president a question like that people have certainly asked presidents questions that uh, that upset them. People have certainly asked presidents questions that offended them. That enraged them. No question. I'm just saying I don't think anybody has ever asked a question, asked a president a question like that one. You know what I'm saying? That's what I mean. That's what I mean. It's unprecedented because having a guy like this in the Oval Office or across the street at the mock-up of the Oval Office is unprecedented. Now, I don't know if you realize, but... um, When MSNBC starts bashing Biden, uh, that's kind of remarkable. And we've got uh, Joe Scarborough and his other half and the panel here, and it got kind of crazy. The thing is, the Democrats have 50 senators.
4: The Republicans have 50 senators. One of the great mysteries, uh, and I want Lemire to talk about this in a second, one of the great mysteries for historians are going to look back and say, how is it that this guy ran against a dozen or so progressives? Yeah. He was the only moderate. He ran as a moderate. He won as a moderate. Every single progressive got rejected. One like the, Those debates were crazy. They were talking about re-implementing busing. They were So far left. They wanted to give health care to illegal immigrants. Like, it was so. uh, Come across the border, we'll give you health care. It was so wildly out of the mainstream of where about 80% of Americans are. Biden ran as a moderate. Biden won as a moderate. Biden decided, and his people around him, I guess, decided that he was going to govern as a leftist. It has failed miserably in the expectations game.
0: Oh, and the people around him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you think it's uh You think it's possible that maybe it's not just Biden making the decision, but the people around him. So <clears throat> There's a woman named Morgan Ortegas. And uh, she was a spokesperson for the State Department under Donald J. Trump and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. She's a a U.S. Navy Reserve officer, alumni of the U.S. Treasury. And uh, she... uh, She has some things to say today out there in the Twitterverse. She says, year one of Biden's foreign policy has been worse than I could have imagined. I'm sad to report it's only getting worse from here. This is a little over two minutes long.
3: I, Joseph Robinette, Biden Jr., do solemnly swear.
5: Year one of Biden foreign policy has been an epic disaster. If you look at what happened in Afghanistan, uh, this is probably the worst foreign policy decision of my lifetime, of a generation. We have abandoned Americans behind enemy lines in Afghanistan. We left green card holders behind. We left allies in the fight behind. People who worked shoulder to shoulder with our American troops in the war against Al Qaeda and against ISIS. We left them behind in Afghanistan. It took seven months, seven months for Afghanistan to completely fall under President Biden. President Trump, Mike Pompeo, and Jared Kushner handed the Biden administration a peace dividend in the Middle East. Through the Abraham Accords, these were four peace deals between Arab states and Israel. That had not happened in 26 years. And President Trump got four. So there's a peaceful Middle East that President Trump handed to Biden. And what happened? Within four months, the Palestinians through Hamas were attacking Israel. That happens with weak leadership. That happens when terrorists know that they can get away with the attacks. And we're seeing this permeate around the world. While you are watching this video, the Islamic Republic of Iran is threatening to kill President Trump and former administration officials. No matter where you are on the political spectrum, that is unacceptable. We've added zero sanctions on Venezuela since Biden has been in office. In fact, he's not paying attention to Latin America at all. That is evident by our southern border and the fact that it's being overrun. And there's no strategy for Latin America. Uh, there's no effort to even stop the message and the spread of socialism. Russia is emboldened more now than ever. They have amassed a 100,000 troops on Ukraine's border. Uh, they continue cyber attacks against the United States, against corporations and government facilities. Uh, they know that under the Biden administration that they can push and push and push and that Team Biden will capitulate and capitulate and capitulate more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wild video. It ends with the words, the professionals are back at the White House and they're just getting started. I guess implying that all of this stuff is being done on purpose. On purpose. Yeah, it, it certainly looks like it is. So Biden yesterday said, well, you know, I expect Putin to, uh, to invade Ukraine, but uh, it's all good as long as it's just just a little invasion. As long as it's not a massive inga- invasion, then and everything will be cool right so White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki has to go out there and try to explain away what he said right because he's not supposed to say that and then today he's trying to help clean up his mess from yesterday Uh, this is just uh, about an hour or so ago
3: there's no misunderstanding in any Any assembled Russian units move across the Ukrainian border, that is an invasion. But it will be met with severe and coordinated economic response that I've discussed in detail with our allies, as well as laid out very clearly for President Putin. But there is no doubt, let there be no doubt at all, that if Putin makes this choice, Russia will pay a heavy price.
0: Which is the exact opposite of what he said yesterday. Exact opposite. So, no, I mean, uh, what does he have to do? What does he have to do for them to go ahead and pull the trigger on the uh, 25th Amendment? That's what I'm talking about. That's what I want to know. Because clearly... Clearly, he's out of control. No two ways about it. I mean, there's there. Everybody knows, you know. Everybody knows. Now you know who James O'Keefe is. James O'Keefe, Project Veritas. This is the uh, organization that does a lot of undercover journalism and exposes official corruption. So, breaking news, War Room, Steve Bannon's outfit is quoting James O'Keefe, saying the FBI has been communicating. Department of Justice has been communicating with Pfizer about Project Veritas. So let's dip into about a a minute video
2: of this. And we have breaking news. I'm breaking this on your show because we just found this out from a FOIA request. Now it turns out the FBI has been communicating, the Department of Justice communicating with Pfizer about Project Veritas. Why in the world is the FBI talking to Pfizer apparently about me? So you ask, is this the future? There's nowhere else for these whistleblowers to go. They can't go to the Washington Post. They can't go to Bezos's rag because his rag represents those in power. They they work in symbiosis with the authorized knowers. They relay to us what they want us to hear. And the whole point of investigative reporting is to challenge those, to bite the hand that feeds you. So it's a movement, it's a populist movement insofar as people on the inside are following their conscience. You have two decisions. You can follow your conscience and in, in which case you might lose your livelihood or you can survive at any price to quote the late Alexander Solzhenitsyn and go against your conscience. And I think increasingly citizens are following their conscience no matter what. And we have.
0: That's a beautiful thing. It was just i I stopped because it was starting over. Ordinarily, if it says one minute, then it's not going to start over. Um, anyway. uh, Got a. Got a comment here on the Podbean app as I'm watching the comments roll by. A gentleman who says, I was serious about the last election and we all see how that ended up. We now have an incompetent leader who's sadly a puppet of a man. I pray for this man every day. Very good. Very good. Uh let's see. The powers that be might enact the 23rd Amendment to save their party the 23rd amendment maybe it's a typo uh what what i mean let me let me check the 23rd amendment um now he's got to mean the 25th got to mean the 25th amendment the 25th amendment is when the vice president Okay, yeah, it was a typo. The vice president and at least half the cabinet conclude that the president is no longer fit, is no longer able to uh, um, continue to perform the duties of his office. And so they say, hey, we're doing the 25th Amendment here. We're taking him out. And he is kicked out of office. It's not like being impeached. You know, you impeach a president for high crimes and misdemeanors in the U.S. House, and then you have to convict him in the trial in the U.S. Senate. Two-thirds of the uh, senators have to convict him to kick him out of office that way. 25th Amendment is like, hey, man, um, you're a good guy. We like you, but... um you kind of lost it mentally, you know. You're no longer able to fulfill your duties in this office. So, no offense, but we're gonna to have to take you out and you know, send you back to the nursing home there in Delaware. That's a big difference. And you know, since I mentioned impeachment, if I may, if I may, it's just remarkable to me since we have had three impeachments. In the last 25 years, how many Americans have absolutely no idea how that works? I've said over and over again that, if for nothing else, if for nothing else, intentionally leaving Americans behind enemy lines in Afghanistan, Joe Biden needs to be impeached, and people say, Oh, no, no, because then we get Kamala Harris. Um. They just impeached Trump twice. He didn't leave office. People have such, such short memories. They impeached Bill Clinton. He didn't leave office. No, even Tom Cotton. Even Tom Cotton. United States Senator from Arkansas. Who knows better? Said the same thing. Impeachment does, is not the same thing as being kicked out of office. Impeachment is when the U.S. House of Representatives votes to indict a president. Then the House managers of the impeachment committee go over and they prosecute the trial in the United States Senate. And that president does not leave office unless two-thirds of the senators, that's 67 senators, vote to convict him, which has never happened. Never happened. Only three presidents have been impeached. None of them have been convicted in the Senate. Now, Richard M. Nixon retired from office August 9, 1974, and uh, they're in the process of trying to put together an impeachment on him, but it didn't get to that point. So, no, no, no. When 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 Bill Clinton was impeached and they took the case over to the Senate, United States Senator Dale Bumpers from Arkansas uh, made a speech and read Bill Clinton the Riot Act, but he wasn't going to vote to actually convict him in the impeachment trial. So you you impeach somebody because he deserves to be impeached, not because you think, oh, this will be a slam dunk we get over to the Senate. Not because you're concerned one way or the other about who the vice president is that would become president On the uh, in the unlikely case that uh, two-thirds of the senators that actually vote to uh, convict, you impeach because it's the right thing to do. The Democrats impeach because they don't like the Republican president. They know it's not the right thing to do. But if you have rejected the Bible and the God of the Bible and biblical morality, then there is no absolute standard of morality or truth for that matter. And you just do whatever you do to um, try to help your side win. It's like the late, great Harry Reid said when he went on the floor of the Senate and lied about Mitt Romney not paying taxes. And then it came out after the election that, of course, Mitt Romney did pay taxes. And somebody confronted Harry Reid. Um, Did he have any misgivings? Did he have any second thoughts? about lying about Mitt Romney not paying taxes, he said, well he lost didn't he and that's what you deal with when you're dealing with people who have rejected the Bible and the God of the Bible you know, all things fair and love and war right <laughs> anyway and, and and that's what you deal with when as uh, my guest earlier said that we're battling against fascism. We're battling against fascism. The ruling regime wants to control us. And we don't want to be controlled. You know? And one of the first things that got a lot of people's attention was Obamacare. When Nancy Pelosi jammed that down our throats back in 2009, right? Well... We're just going to have to pass it so you can find out what's in it. So did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Does you, do your sky-high copays keep you from going to the doctor? If you answer yes to any of those questions, there's a website you need to go to. It's called MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. And you click on that website, myfamilyhealthplan dot com, and the homepage says affordable plans, save thirty to fifty percent on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. And then the button, schedule call now. You click on that button, and you book a free consultation with my buddy Art Wilborn, who will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage, and also make sure that you have. A custom made plan that doesn't force you to cover stuff like abortion or transgender surgeries like some of the Obamacare plans do. Horrible things that would, uh, of course, violate your deeply held religious beliefs. Again, the website is myfamilyhealthplan.com. Affordable plans save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. Click the button that says Schedule Call Now, and my buddy Art Wilborn will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance at MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. You'll be glad you did, and we're thankful that they uh, sponsor the Doc Washman Show. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So... <clears throat> Yeah, Biden yesterday was out of control. Biden yesterday was out of control, and you got uh, Jen Psaki trying to do damage control yesterday. She said, "Let's be clear: the President was not casting doubt on the legitimacy of the 2022 election." He was making the opposite point. In 2020, a record number of voters turned out in the face of a pandemic, and election officials made sure they could vote and have those votes counted. Okay? But the great Molly Hemingway, the Federalist, says, more attempted backtracking from Jen Psaki. The problem is Biden said it multiple times. What did he say multiple times? Multiple times. He said, if you don't pass this uh, electoral reform bill, I want passed. Then uh, I can't uh, guarantee that the 2022 election will be a fair election. Now, we got a couple of minutes of Biden yesterday just wandering aimlessly. He is not fit. To fulfill the duties of the Oval Office. There's no question about it. Here he is.
3: 5%. One poll and 49%. I mean, the idea that um, the American public are trying to sift their way through what's real and what's, and what's fake. And I don't think as uh, I've never seen a time when the political coverage the the choice of what political coverage the voter looks to
0: sometimes the middle is he's closing his eyes trying to find the next few words
3: has as much impact on what they believe they go to get reinforced in their views whether it's uh, MSNBC or whether it's Fox or I mean and one of the things I find fascinating that's happening, and you all are dealing with it every day, and it will impact on on how things move, is that uh, a lot of the speculation in the polling data shows that the um, that the uh, cables are heading south. They're losing viewership. No. Well, Fox is okay for a while, but it's not dated. And a lot of the rest are predicted to be not very much in the in the mix in the next four to five years. I don't know whether that's true or not. But I do know that we have sort of uh, put everybody in, put themselves in certain alleys. And they decided that, you know, how many people who watch MSNBC also watch Fox and they're a politician trying to find out what's going on in both places. How many people, again, I'm no expert in any of this, but the fact is, I think you have to acknowledge that what gets covered now is necessarily a little bit different than what gets covered in the past. I've had a couple watching well, it. But the nature, not the nature of the way things get covered.
0: I mean, you're trying to tell me that's a guy who is in complete control of his cognitive abilities? You don't lie to me, do you? That's not what that's all about. what 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 that's about is a guy who is absolutely fried absolutely mentally fried that's that's what we're dealing with that's what we're dealing with and you know i i was just checking powerline blog because they frequently have really good coverage of what's going on around us, and so we have uh, Scott Johnson over at Powerline Blog said yesterday. See, I will never use the word president in front of the word Biden. He's the usurper. He stole the election. I'm I'm not going to give him the dignity of that. Yesterday, Usurper Biden held a rare press conference to observe the first anniversary of his tenure in office. I assessed Biden's press conference yesterday, the worst ever, the worst presidential press conference, that is. The White House has posted the transcript, and he links to it. He has the embedded C-SPAN video below. He says, it went on for nearly two hours, the longer it went, the worse he got. He defamed Republicans, he defamed the United States, he's an embarrassment. Biden rambled, blundered, lied, dissembled, and streamed his consciousness like Molly Bloom in the last chapter of Ulysses, or Benji Thompson in the first chapter of The Sound and the Fury. He searched his notes for talking points, he lost his train of thought, such as it was, He put his senile phantasmagoria on display for all to see. Does he have more than 26 cards to deal from his deck? It was appalling. In other words, he wasn't dealing with a full deck. What about school closures? Might that be a political problem for you? School closures? I think we have the audio on that.
2: School reopenings or closures become a potent midterm issue for Republicans to win back the suburbs.
3: Oh, I think it could be, but I hope in God that they're, uh, that, look, maybe I'm kidding myself, but as time goes on, the voter who is just trying to figure out, as I said, how to take care of their family, put three squares on the table, stay safe, be able to pay their mortgage or their rent, et cetera, Uh, is becoming much more informed on the um, the motives of um, some of the political players and some of the And the political parties. And I think that they are not going to be as susceptible to believing some of the outlandish things that have been said and continue to be said. You know, every, every president, not necessarily in the first 12 months, but every president in the first couple years, most every president, excuse me, of the last presidents, at least four of them, have had polling numbers that are 44%. Favorable, So it's this idea that, but you all, not you all, but now it is, well, Biden said, one poll showed him at 33%. The average is 40, four, four, 44, 45%. One poll him at 49%. I mean, the idea that um, the American public are trying to sift their way through what's real and what's, and what's fake and
0: I I mean, seriously, seriously, he's gone, man. These long pauses. He's gone. Anyway, um, Scott Johnson over at Powerline blog continues. He says, this was a classic for the ages. Quote, and so I think that, And so, pardon me, let's start again. Quote, and so I think what you're going to see is that Russia will be held accountable if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, et cetera. It depends on the meaning of minor. Okay. The quote stopped at et cetera, And Scott Johnson says it depends on the meaning of minor. So what about our own border? Nobody thought to ask yesterday. One reporter touched on the question this way. said, I wonder if you're planning on traveling also to South America and other countries in the Western Hemisphere, given the fact that China has gained a lot of influence in the region." So while Trump got the border under control, Biden blames Trump for the invasion that we have suffered over the past year. Again, quote from Biden. He says, Let me answer the first question. I spent a lot of time in South America and in Latin America. When I was vice president, I spent the bulk of my eight years basically in Europe and or in Latin America. I'm in contact with the leaders of the countries in South America, and we're working closely with making sure that we do everything, for example, with the, to deal with helping the countries in question, particularly those in Central America, to be able to help them with their ability to deal with the inter... People don't sit around in Guatemala and say, I got a great idea, let's sell everything we have, give the money to... Uh, to a coyote, take us across a terribly dangerous trip up through Central America and up through Mexico and drop us, sneak us across the border, drop us in the desert. Won't that be fun? People leave because they have real problems, and some of the things that I've done when I was a vice president and I got support with, although I don't have much Republican support anymore, is provide billions of dollars to be able to say to those countries, why are people leaving, and how are you going to reform your own system? And that's what we've worked on a long time. It still needs a lot more work, and we're focusing on that. I also believe I've spent a lot of time talking about and dealing with policy having to do with Maduro, who is little more than a dictator right now, and the same thing in Chile, and F, not the same thing, but with Chile as well as Argentina. So, look, I made a speech a while ago when I was vice president saying that if we were smart, we have an opportunity to make the Western Hemisphere a united, not united, a democratic hemisphere. And we were moving in the right direction under our, under the last administration the Obama-Biden administration. But so much damage was done as a consequence of the foreign policy decisions the last president made in Latin America, Central America, and South America that we now have, when I call for a summit of the democracies, I called that and a number of nations showed up for this summit of democracy. What is it that's going to allow us to generate We've actually had a reduction in the number of democracies in the world, and it seems to me there's nothing more important. We used to talk about when I was a kid in college about America's backyard. It's not America's backyard. Everything south of the Mexican border is America's front yard, and we're equal people. We don't dictate what happens in any other part of that, of this continent or the South American continent. We have to work very hard on it. But the trouble is, we're having great difficulty making up for the mistakes that were made for the last four years, and it's going to take some time. Unquote. Scott Johnson, Powerline Blog, says, translation, we're screwed. Real clear politics, Philip Wegman was a subject of one of Biden's hissy fits, but has a good straight news account of the press conference he links to. Quotable quote, can you think of any other president that has done as much in one year? Name one for me. Oh, good grief. It's, uh, it's just insane, isn't it? Philip Wegman, Real Clear Politics. Defiant, unapologetic, Biden's marathon presser. President Biden, oh, I oh oh I slipped, I'm sorry. He's not president in my book. Usurper Biden, frustrated but defiant in the face of layered domestic and international crises held forth for two, nearly two hours Wednesday in just his second solo press conference in the White House, breaking historic records while blaming Republicans and defending the results of his first 12 months in the Oval Office. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with that. I mean, that's enough of that. Good grief. And he did. He invited Russian incursion into Ukraine. That's messed up. Not even to lie, fam. That is messed up. You know, every once in a while, Every once in a while, we get to a point in the program where it's a uh, very special time. You know what I'm talking about. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Don Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Doc Washer show to you today brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, the big old car dealership in the middle of USA. The believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door wherever you live in the continental United States of America. All right, let's get to that tweet of the day. Matt Walsh. Was on Doctor Phil with some non-binary trans activists, and he's got a couple of minutes of it that he tweeted out, and it was uh, he put on a clinic, as uh, Matt Gates said. Oh, I got to turn it back up. All right, sorry about that. All right, here it goes.
2: There should be no construct. Of gender just sex you're either male or female right and someone feeling in right. a mental emotional way that they don't identify with the sex that they have been biologically created as and assigned at birth based on their genitalia if they don't feel that way that there's no construct
1: that it describes that, experiences that. Well,
6: that's got nothing to do with the reality. So you can feel however you want. I mean, I could sit here and say that I feel like a tomato plant, but that doesn't mean that I'm actually in those things. So your, your self-perception, you can have whatever self-perception you want, but you can't expect me to take part in that self-perception or to take part in this kind of charade, this theatrical production. You don't get your own pronouns, just like you don't get your own prepositions or your own, your own adjectives. You know, it's like if I were to tell you, my adjectives are handsome and brilliant, and no matter whenever you're talking about me, you have to describe me as handsome and brilliant because that's how I identify. It makes no sense. You don't get your own pronouns. These are that's 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 grammar. That's language. So you think it's a delusion? Someone is self delusional? Yeah, I think it's it's delusion. It could be a mental illness. It could be it's, it's a lot of different things. With, with children, wow. you know, there, there's also just a basic confusion that all kids have. Like that's why when you hear when you when you hear someone a parent say, "Oh, my four year old." A uh, son cave, came to me and said that uh, I'm a girl now and so that's what I'm going I'm to raise him as a girl No, you're, you're a four year old I have four kids when a four year old boy comes to you and says oh I'm a girl here's a good follow up question what is a girl ask him what he means by that what do you mean by girl and when you, when you ask him that here's what he'll tell you he will tell you what he really means is that he, he wants to do some of the things that girls do like play with mm-hmm. the dollhouse or, or you know he likes the color pink that's fine play with the dollhouse but you're still a boy.
0: Got it? Yeah. Now, at another point in the Dr. Phil show that Matt Walsh was on, he tried to get these non-binary trans activists to give him the definition of woman, and they couldn't do it. Well, it's just whoever feels like they're their woman... Okay, whoever feels like they're a what? A woman. Yeah, what's that mean? Well, you know, we can't define it. Of course they can't. Of course they can't. But our young people are being sold on the big lie and they're being indoctrinated in the government schools about this. Just so you know. Just so you know. Now, thanks again to Red River Your Way. .com for for sponsoring today's tweet of the day Having said that um very disappointed in Alabama Crimson Tide coach Nick Saban I don't know if you heard about this He has always scrupulously avoided politics He even avoided the uh, get vaccinated deal. Several other major college football coaches are on, so the Alabama athletic director had to do it because Nick Saban wouldn't do it. Well, now he's goofed up. And Paul Myronhoff over at Powerline Blog has a story. Alabama's great football coach, Nick Saban, a native of West Virginia, has signed a public letter urging Joe Manchin to support the Senate bill that would force the views of liberal Democrats regarding voting on the states. Sabin and Manchin are said to be friends. The letter was also signed by West Virginia Connected Sports Figures, Jerry West, Paul Tagliabue, Oliver Luck, and Daryl Talley. Nick Saban added an important footnote to the letter. According to CNN, Saban told Manchin that he is not in favor of getting rid of the filibuster because he believes this would destroy the checks and balances we must have in a democracy. The other sports personalities who signed the letter said they take no position on this aspect of Senate policies. Again, according to CNN, this is CNN. Even if uh, Manchin and Kirsten Cinema were, ba- were to back the voting legislation, it wouldn't be enacted as long as the filibuster remained in place. Trying to smuggle the voting bill into reconciliation legislation would not work because a Senate parliamentarian stands in the way. Has Nick Saban read and carefully considered the voting legislation he endorsed? I don't know, but assume he has. Is there anything wrong with Saban expressing his opinion on the subject to Manchin? No. Is his opinion and that of a few other personalities who once had a connection to West Virginia entitled to anything like the weight of West Virginia's, not to mention Mansions own considered view? Of course not. Look, I, I don't think Nick Saban read it, because if he did, he'd know how disastrous his uh, so-called voting rights bill would be. Again, nobody can tell me no body can tell me what american citizen is not allowed to vote you know they're trying to make it so the states can't get dead people off the voter rolls, they're trying to make it so anybody could ballot harvest and drop off thousands of ballots in drop boxes, which other people can monkey around with. They're trying to take away our freedoms, what they're trying to do. I think the problem is Nick Saban is trusting the wrong people. That's what's up. That's what's going on here. And it's a crying shame. It is a crying shame. Um. But every once in a while, you run across this stuff, and you got to mention it. Nick Saban is a great, a great, football coach. But he's not really a good. Political philosopher. Let's put it that way. Now, I want to share with you this little article over at Barry Weiss's Substack website. Stacey Lance has written a little article called I'm a Public School Teacher, The Kids Aren't Alright. Subtitle, my students were taught to think of themselves as vectors of disease. This has fundamentally altered their understanding of themselves. She says, I'm proud to be a teacher. I've worked in the Canadian public school system for the past 15 years, mostly at the high school level, teaching morals and ethics. She says, I don't claim to be a doctor, or an expert in virology. There's a lot I don't know but I spend my days with our youth and they tell me a lot about their lives and I want to tell you what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing. Since the beginning of the pandemic, when our school went fully remote, it was evident to me that the loss of human connection would be detrimental to our students' development. It also became increasingly clear that the response to the pandemic would have immense consequences for students who were already on the path to long-term disengagement potentially altering, altering their lives permanently. The data about learning loss and the mental health crisis is devastating. Overlooked has been the deep shame young people feel. Our students were taught to think of their schools as hubs for infection and themselves as vectors for, of disease. This has fundamentally altered their understanding of themselves. When we finally, go back, when we finally got back into the classroom, In September 2020, I was optimistic even as we would go remote for weeks, sometimes months, whenever case numbers would rise. But things never returned to normal. When we were physically in school, it felt like there was no longer life in the building. Maybe it was the masks that made it so that no one wanted to engage in lessons or even talk about how they spent their weekend but it felt cold and soulless. My students weren't allowed to gather in the halls or chat between classes. They still aren't. Sporting events, clubs, and graduation were all cancelled. These may sound like small things, but these losses were a huge deal to the students. These are rites of passage that can't be made up. In my classroom, the learning loss is noticeable. My students can't concentrate and they aren't doing the work that I assigned to them. They have way less motivation compared to before the pandemic began. Some of my students chose not to come back at all, either because of the fear of the virus or because they're debilitated by social anxiety. And now they have the option to do virtual schooling from home. One of my favorite projects that I assign each year is to my 10th grade students who do in-depth research on any culture of their choosing. It culminates in a day of presentations. I encourage them to bring in music, props, food, whatever they need to immerse their classmates in their specific culture. A lot of my students give presentations on their own heritage. A few years back, a student of mine, a Syrian refugee, told her story about how she ended up in Canada. She brought in traditional Syrian foods, delicacies that her dad had stayed up all night cooking. It was one of the best days I can remember. She was so proud to share her story. She had struggled with homesickness, and her classmates got a lesson in empathy. Now my students simply prepare a slideshow and email it to me individually. My older students, grades 11 and 12, aren't even allowed a lunch break and are expected to come to school, go to class for five and a half hours, and then go home. Children in 9th and 10th grades have to face the front of the classroom while they eat lunch during their second period of class. My students used to be able to eat in the halls or the cafeteria. Now that's forbidden. Young children are expected to follow the mask off voices-off rule and are made to wear their masks outside where they can only play with other kids in their class. Of course, outside of school, kids are going to restaurants with their families and to each other's houses, making the rules at school feel punitive and nonsensical. They are anxious and depressed. Previously outgoing students are now terrified of the prospect of being singled out to stand in front of the class and speak. And many of my students seem to have found comfort behind their masks. They feel exposed when their peers can see their whole faces. Around this time of year, we start planning for the prom, which is held in June. Usually, my students would already be chatting constantly about who's asking who, what they're planning on wearing, and how excited they are. This year, they barely discussed it at all. When they do, they tell me that they don't want to get their hopes up since they're assuming it'll get canceled like it has for the past couple of years. It's the same deal with universities. My students say, if university is going to be just like this, then what's the point? She says, I have my own children, a nine-year-old daughter, a seven-year-old son, who have spent almost a third of their lives in lockdown. They become so used to cancellations they don't even feel disappointed anymore. I think all my students are angry to some degree, but I hear it most from the kids who are athletes. They were told if they got the vaccine, everything would go back to normal and they could go back to the hockey rink or the basketball court. Some sports were back for a while, but as of Christmas, because the recent wave of COVID-19 cases, club and varsity sports are all canceled once again. A lot of the athletes are missing chances to get seen by coaches and get scholarships. I try to take time at the beginning of class to ask my kids how they're doing. Recently, one of my 11th grade students raised his hand and said he wasn't doing well, that he doesn't want to keep living like this, but that he knows that no one is coming to save them. The other kids all nodded in agreement. They feel lied to, and I can't blame them. What's most worrisome to me is that they feel deep worry and shame over the prospect of breaking the rules. Teenage girls are notoriously empathetic. I see that many of my students, but especially the female ones, feel a heavy burden of responsibility. Right before Christmas, one of my brightest 12th graders confided to me that she was terrified of taking her mask off. She told me she didn't want to get anyone sick or kill anybody. She was worried she would be held responsible for someone dying. What am I supposed to say? That 23 children have died from COVID in Canada during the whole of the pandemic, and she's much more likely to kill someone driving a car, that kids in Scandinavia, Sweden, and the Netherlands largely haven't had to wear masks at school and haven't seen outbreaks because of it, that masks are not a magic shield against the virus, and that even if she were to pass it along to a classmate, The risk of them getting seriously sick is minuscule. I want to tell her that she can remove her mask and socialize with her friends without being worried. But I am expected to enforce the rules. Oh, boy. At the beginning of the pandemic, adults shamed kids for wanting to play at the park or hang out with their friends. We kept hearing, they'll be fine. They're resilient. It's true that humans by nature are very resilient, but they also break. And my students are breaking. Some have already broken. When we look at the COVID-19 pandemic through the lens of history, I believe it will be clear that we betrayed our children. The risks of this pandemic were never to them, but they were forced to carry the burden of it. It's enough. It's time for a return to normal life and put an end to the bureaucratic policies that aren't making sense society safer, but are sacrificing our children's mental, emotional, and physical health. Our children need life on the highest volume. And they need it now. Sorry, I, uh, I must have got something in my eyes. Articles entitled, I'm a public school teacher. The kids aren't all right. It's by Stacy Lance over at uh, Barry Weiss's Substack page. The end of it is just heartbreaking. Our children need life on the highest volume, and they need it now. And you know, I go to church sometimes, and um uh, see adults with masks on forcing their small children to wear masks and it looks like child abuse to me and uh i wish i knew something i could do about it so um let me ask something do you have migraines Do you have neck pain? Do you have back pain? Do you have vertigo? Do you have eczema? Let me see if I can help you here with the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Do you naturally tilt your head to the left or the right? Because that's how you feel comfortable. The answer to any of these questions is yes. You probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I get rid of my migraines, my neck pain. Let me tell you how it works. The skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. Now, your skull weighs on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas or the C1, which only weighs 2 ounces, so it's really easy for that atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability send impulse to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, circulatory system, digestive system. Yes, it can even affect your reproductive system. And it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, eczema, blood sugar problems, all kinds of stuff. Do yourself a favor. If you're in central Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Cervical Center, 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted. If you're outside Central Arkansas, just go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on the tab that says Find a Doctor to see if you can find a doctor near you. Uh, this has really helped me. It's really helped my wife, really helped a lot of people that we know. And uh, I hope it will help you. I really do. Turn my dot com, you will be glad that you did. No question about it. Now this new uh governor of Virginia, and by the way, we're delighted that Virginia is now one of our top five states for people who listen to the Doc Washington Show podcast. This uh this new governor of Virginia is just sending all the right messages. He is striking all the right notes. Terry Schilling over at uh, Daily Caller talking about how Glenn Youngkin has the GOP's blueprint for 2022. To riff off a famous political ad, it's morning again in Virginia. Over the weekend, Glenn Youngkin was sworn in as Virginia's newest governor, the first Republican to occupy the executive mansion in nearly a decade. He wasted no time getting to work, immediately signing a number of executive orders to follow through on promises he made during his remarkable campaign last year. Glenn Youngkin has in many ways shouldered the hard work for the Republican Party. He assembled a coherent and spirited policy agenda, he campaigned on it and won office. He then swiftly made good on his word, and he's now receiving nationwide acclaim on the right for having done so. Glenn Youngkin has in his possession a battle tested blueprint for sweeping conservative conquer- conquests in the midterm election. For Yunkin pardon me, first, Youngkin instructed the state superintendent to do a full review of all the Commonwealth's education policies in order to raise standards and further to eliminate critical race theory and other phony ideological paradigms from curricula. He then ordered that Virginia's school mask mandate be terminated and that parents be given the right to decide whether or not their children should be masked in school. Moreover, he directed the state attorney general to conduct an investigation of Loudoun County Public Schools, whose officials reportedly engaged in the cover-up of a sexual assault in a girl's restroom by a boy wearing a dress. All of these issues were key to Glenn Youngkin's landmark electoral victory in November as he flipped a state that had voted for Joe Biden by 10 points. Glenn Youngkin smartly capitalized on Democrat Terry McLaughlin's anti-parent stance and emphasizing his willingness to fight back against critical race theory and gender ideology in schools. He both energized the conservative base and, and recaptured suburban voters. However, the story does not end there, nor does it end with the executive orders signed over this past weekend. As Glenn Youngkin certainly knows the hard part of governing has only just begun. Already Virginia left-wingers have been begun challenging Youngkin's move, for example, not long after his directive ending school mask mandates, several school districts announced they would outright defy it by continuing to enforce their own mandates. It seems likely that this fight, among others, will soon be headed to the courts. This is to be expected, of course, but far too often in recent years, Republican voters have watched their elected leaders who campaign on bold action fold as soon as they start meeting resistance. The pandemic underscored this craven tendency. How many Republicans stood up to the tyrannical left-wing bureaucrats and their enablers in the legacy media who spent more than two years clamoring for lockdowns and other excessive measures. The list is a distressingly short one. Now the eyes of our nation's voters are on the new administration in Richmond. To see whether it will become a new hub of courage and change after running on a platform to empower parents, crack down on unaccountable school officials, and place faith back in America, will new Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin continue to follow through? While his first few days in office have been very encouraging, there's still a long way to go. The good news for Youngkin is that he's not alone in this fight. The many thousands of parents who voted for him last November continue to support him as he takes on the significant challenge of reforming a badly mismanaged public school system, and as long as he perseveres, those parents will stand by him. Youngkin drafted a policy blueprint and is implementing a winning agenda. All he must do now is not back down. As for Republican leadership, more broadly, it must avoid reverting to what has too often been the party's modus operandi, keeping cultural issues at an arm's length during the campaign before casting them aside once in office. The key to triumphing in the ballot box isn't a deep mystery. The GOP should follow suit by prioritizing the concerns of American parents. That's Terry Schilling, president of American Principles Project over at dailycaller.com. Great article by the new governor of Virginia. Yunkin has the GOP's blueprint for 2022. And he certainly does. Certainly does. All right, you've been listening to the 71st episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, Directed by Mick Messi. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, seventh floor of the Ephemeral B. Smooth Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier, the 10th. And that's the way it is. Thursday, January 20th. 2022.